So today, how many of y'all have had a day where you need a time to sort of stop and refocus? Okay, there's one honest. Nobody the rest. There you go, right? We need to have that because guess what? You run through the day sometimes and you get towards the end of it. And it's hard to focus on what happened. We need to sort of refocus a little bit. And when we refocus, you know what we need to do sometimes? Sometimes we need to repent. Anybody else? When you refocus on what exactly did I spend my day doing, do you ever stop and go, wow, I really missed, it, missed the mark? Ain't it great, though, when we stop and we refocus and we repent? Guess what God can do? He can redeem, right? Not only can he redeem, he can restore. I like all those rewords, man. Y'all, we should write those down sometimes. Those are great words. So as we talk tonight, we're going to talk about identity, talk about some different things. Help us, Lord, to just uh, get our minds right with where he wants us to be. So identity. Have any of y'all heard about an identity crisis in our nation today? What's some of the things that's going on with identity? Gender and everything. I think Randy pretty much summed it up. There's gender, but then there's everything else, right? Do we need to talk about that in here? No, that's not really the purpose of where we're here tonight. There's a lot of questions about identity. Um, here's the problem. If you're not resting as a parent in your identity in Christ, you will look for identity in your children or in anything else that's around you. We've got to be real careful who we're looking for our identity for. Uh, two of the things it talks about in the book, and I think that really translates to the world today, we have identity amnesia and identity replacement. What do y'all think it means when it says identity amnesia? Forgetting who you really are. Forgetting who you really are. So you have to understand who created you, right? And we could get down to the basics of male and female, right? But also identity replacement. We want to look at all these people that we see and we want to be like them instead of being who God made us to be. We're also we're all oftentimes looking to be replace who we are with something better. What's some of the means that we use to do that? I've seen a lot of people that's my age and older that are building a brand new house. Can you imagine being almost 60 and building a brand new house with a 30-year mortgage? I can't, I can't, I just can't comp comprehend that. That's just me. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I guess if that's what you want to do and you got money, maybe you got enough money, I don't know. But I think, what's your, is your identity in that home? Careful, we're talking about, so, sorry, Randy, go ahead. Try and keep up with the I've never met them people too much, but I've never tried to keep up with them. Trying to keep up with the stewards. That's the rough part right there. Mm. Whoa, right there. we got a row of them here. Uh-oh. Uh, we got to be careful who we're trying to keep up with. But we put our identity in so many things. And so many parents today are putting their identity in their child. What's the problem with that? They're not really yours. They're not really yours. You're a steward of them for a very brief time, if we really think about it, right? If you look back over your shoulder, you go, it seemed like yesterday. And wow, what happened? What's the other problem with it, though? They do grow up. That's not just a problem, it's a blessing. Identity's in Christ, right? And if you put it in your child, what's the problem with the child then? No, they'll never uh, get up to that level that we put them on, and there's going to be friction at some point because of that. So we have to be real careful. So let's talk about identity a little bit. Um, I'm going to go down to uh, basically, let's just go right to the scripture. A lot of this stuff is from the book, and if y'all read the book, Bless your hearts. That's great. You should read the book. This is the main one I want to concentrate on. So let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And I want us to go through a couple of verses here tonight and uh, really look at understanding my identity in Christ. Because if we don't have, understand our identity in Christ, we're never going to be able to help our children understand their identity in Christ. We have to be, I think Scott always says, uh, 
grounded and founded is one of his favorite two words he puts together. And if we're not grounded and founded, we can't expect that they're going to come behind us in that. So let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And we're going to start in verse 1 here. It says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life. Generally, when I see all in the scriptures, I like to circle that because it really helps me understand, guess what? If we're not careful, we'll think only some things pertain to what God has. No, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then verse 5 says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness. Let me just continue because we don't want to stop the thought here. To godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. So Peter here starts off and he's telling everybody, number one, he says who he is. Why does he think he addresses himself as Simon Peter? If we go back in the scriptures, who was he when Jesus first met him? Fisherman. He was a fisherman. What was his name? Simon. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus did what? He gave him a new name, right? Ain't that important? Why do you think he uses both of them? Say that again. Humility and dignity. Mm-hmm. He remembers who he was. Y'all remember who you were? If we really want to accept our identity in Christ, you know what we got to do sometimes? we got to remember where we were and who we were and what God has done for us. If we're not careful, our identity sometimes, we get back to those good old days. And we talk about what we used to do instead of saying, no, no, no. God has removed me from this and look at what he's done now. Simon Peter, through humility, said, look at what God did for me. And then he describes himself two ways. Notice how he puts it. A bondservant and an apostle. Most of the time when we want to give ourselves any kind of things that Show who we are, we put the nicer thing first, right? But he says the first thing he is, he's a bondservant. So again, as we're talking about our identity in Christ, is that who we are? Are we a bondservant? Have we been purchased? Do we recognize the stewardship that goes with who we are in Christ? He's a bondservant. He's an apostle. And here's who he's addressing. He's addressing to those who have have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 1. Yeah, Winston, get at it now. Come on. So 2 Peter chapter 1. So he's saying, hey, here, here's who I'm talking to. Who's his audience today? Other Christians that are, have accept, obtained that like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you ever think that your faith is precious? Do you ever consider that, though? Do we ever stop and think about how precious our faith is? At times. Not enough. Why not? We get distracted. What about our identity? Do we make sure our identity understands how precious that faith is? I think we just need to consider sometimes as we read how precious that is through the righteousness of our God and Savior. Verse number two here. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So he's saying, what about knowledge here? He says, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He's saying grace and peace should be multiplied, and then he goes right into understanding the knowledge. Why do you think he puts knowledge in here? 
Is it enough just to know the name of Jesus? Lots of people out there say, oh, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, he was some historical figure. They have a very small knowledge of who Christ is. Should that be those of us who identify like him? Our knowledge should be what? Growing. It should be on a regular basis where we understand not only that precious faith, but all of this where he looks at the divine power, all these other things that we're going to go through here. So make sure we understand the knowledge of God uh, in Jesus our Lord. We may need to make sure we understand. How do you understand something? You have to study it. How much time are we spending studying these precious promises, this precious faith that he's given us? How often are we doing that? Are we in the world? Let's just be honest. Up at SWO, there's a thing up in the prayer chapel, and it says the average teenager, I want to emphasize that again, average teenager, spends seven and a half hours a day on their cell phone. You know what I would say? That's not just a teenager. That's most people today. Imagine if you took half of that time and you immersed yourself in this word. Would your identity be, be uh, shaken by trials and tribulations that come your way? Would your identity be shaken by other people who might be saying something or not saying something? If we immersed ourselves in this like we immerse ourselves in other things, what about your career? We have to work, right? Some of y'all might not. Bless your heart. That's great for you. But some of us, we got to work. What are we doing it for? Am I doing it for my success? And am I doing it to make sure that my name gets put above every other name? Or am I doing it for a purpose? God's put me there for a purpose and for a season. We need to make sure we understand that in light of. And all of these things come to us through his divine power. When we think about divine power, what comes to your mind? The ultimate. When we think of divine, what's that word mean to y'all? Of God, okay. We talk about His divinity. What does that mean, Winston? Okay, that was sounding more like a question than a statement. I'm just trying to make sure. That's, it, do you have a counter definition? No, I'm just trying to you know make sure that everybody's awake in here and we're doing this. It's good to ask questions a little bit to get everybody primed for small group in a little bit, right? Divine power. Here's what Spurgeon says. Divine power, what stupendous issues are grasped in that term, divine power. It was this which digged the deep foundations of the earth and sea. Divine power, it is this which guides the marches of the stars in heaven. Divine power, it is this which holds up the pillars of the universe and which one day shall shake them and hurry all things back to their native nothingness. Wow, divine power. He describes that a little more broadly for us, right? We need to understand that we, uh, this divine power through the knowledge of him. We will trust in the schemes and plans of men, oftentimes, instead of the knowledge of God. We'll look for advice from every other person, but from the scriptures. Why do y'all think that is? Why are we so sometimes uh, reticent to look to what God says versus what other people say or what the culture says? Or even, hold on, maybe it's our pastor. We're going to ask him for advice. Not a bad thing. But whose advice should we really be seeking? Whose knowledge should we really be seeking after? Knowledge found... In this, right? It just means for us we have to apply it, right? Oh, and according to Bloom, the ancient Greek word knowledge doesn't refer to a casual acquaintance. It means an exact, complete, and thorough knowledge. Is that how you would describe your knowledge of Christ? I'll say it one more time. Exact, complete, and thorough. I would say no, no, and no, right? Should it be our, our goal, though? Yes, 
to know him exactly, know him completely, and know him thoroughly. So let's continue down through here. I don't want to spend all day on this, even though there's so much good stuff in here. And uh, he continues down here, and he talks about those who are partakers of the divine nature. He talks about the great and precious promises, exceedingly great and precious promises. When that comes to your mind, what's an exceedingly great and precious promise that comes to your mind? Heaven, salvation. Is that it? Never leave us nor forsake us. Is there any other exceedingly great promises he's given us? Yes, he's given us that, saying he's never going to do what? Flood the earth again, right? Let's not go there. I see, I see it. Don't do that. What other kind of promises? Is there lots of them? Do we concentrate on those great promises more than we concentrate on maybe the problems that we see out here in the world today? Notice in the text here, it says they're exceedingly great and precious promises. Exceedingly. What, is it, what does it mean to exceed something? So you're going down the road, Kevin. You're running 79 in a 40, and the cop pulls you over. What have you done? You've exceeded the speed limit exceedingly, right? Right? We can look at that in a lot of areas and see that, but do we realize God's given us these exceedingly great and precious promises? It would behoove us to write some of those promises down, put them on our phone, maybe not put them in our little pocket. That's my old, old school. I don't even have a pocket anymore. And do what? When we're discouraged, maybe we pull out one of those exceedingly great and precious promises and we read it. And you know what it does? It encourages our faith. Because we started that off at the beginning, right? Those who obtained precious faith. Guess what? When we have precious faith, sometimes we need to have those exceedingly great and precious promises encourage and increase that faith. Being partakers. And down here at the very bottom, it says, giving all diligence. What does it mean to be diligent? Verse number five. Completing the task. So if you go to see a doctor, right, do you want him to be diligent in checking on your health? When you have somebody in your car is having this really weird thing, do you want somebody that's diligent and they just go say, ah, it's fine, driving around the road? Right? Turn the radio up, right? Or, you know, because I get to Stewart's garage. Yeah, he'll definitely, yeah. <laughs> right? What is, are we diligent in our walk? And all of us need to be considering that because, again, before we can raise a child, we have to understand who we are, our identity. Are we diligent in our faith, giving all diligence? It says, add to your faith virtue. Why does it start off with faith first? Because you can't add anything unless you have the faith, right? What is virtue? I'm asking y'all a lot of questions tonight. Just make sure you're engaged here. What's virtue? Good stuff. Somebody who's virtuous doesn't mean that they're somebody who's bad, right? Somebody who's virtuous has virtues, things that they live for, that they believe in. To virtue, knowledge. We don't talked about knowledge. Why is it important to have knowledge? So you don't fall for other things because you know what's right and you know what's wrong, right? We need to have that kind of knowledge. To knowledge, then it says self-control. What do y'all think it means when it says self-control? Control yourself. Wow. <laughs> Anybody got anything beyond that one? Just control yourself, right? <laughs> in the Greek, it says, or in the original, um, it says they use this word to describe someone who is not ruled by the desire for sex. Self-control. Our world today, it's all in everybody's face. It's a huge issue we've got, not just in that area, but in all areas. How can we control ourselves? Paul says what? He <coughs> buffets his body to do what? To obtain this goal. He makes sure everything he has goes towards this goal. Are we controlling ourselves 
or are we being controlled by external and other internal factors? So we need to make sure we understand and give all diligence to these things as we look forward. So identity, your identity has to be in Christ. It has to be firm. You have to have knowledge. What else does it say? Virtue, faith, self-control, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and a brotherly kindness, love. Before we take on a child, guess what? All of these things should be evident and manifest in our lives. Why? Because not only are you telling them, but they're also walking behind you. And you can read this to them all day long, but if your identity is not secure, their identity is not going to be secure either. What's that talk, you know, talk the talk and walk the walk? We need to be able to do both. And that's really what it means when we talk about identity. We need to make sure our identity is in Christ and we are taking the steps necessary to obtain sanctification. Sanctification is how long of a process? Depends on how long you're alive, right? Is it something that you should, are regularly going after every day? Is God going to put people in your life that's going to help you with that? You're going to have people around you that's going to, it's going to be more difficult sometimes for you. That's for your growth. What about uh, trials and temptations? We go to the book of James and it tells us what? Those things are to do what? Help us. Consider it all joy. Okay, it took me a second. Joy. When you encounter all these things, no one is doing what? It's doing something in your life. It's producing something in you you can't produce on your own. You can't do it by yourself. You need this. You need God working in and through you. All right, I want to jump over to process. That was our two things tonight. We want to talk about uh, identity. I didn't want to get into gender. I didn't want to go down that road. I really didn't. I think we did pretty good there. The next thing I want us to look at is process. When you think of a process, please define what a process is and how often you use it daily. Nobody uses processes in this entire room. That's awesome. Methodology. Methodology, right? A lot of us have a process where when we get up every morning, we do the same thing. We could call it a habit, but is it a process? Yeah. If you work anywhere, like if anybody's been through the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A or you went in, right? Do they have a process? Very much so, right? Pretty much the whole world is run on process to a certain degree. Do we have a process for raising children? Have we sat down and thought about it? One of the things I do here is I talk three things to here in, in the church settlement is that process, procedure, protocol. I say that all the time to the point where some of them really don't like me saying that all the time. I actually said it to y'all guys in the thing about transportation, I think, a while back. Why? It's important. If we don't have a process and we don't have a procedure and we don't have a protocol, Guess what? When something happens, what do we do? Ah, what are we going to do? We react. A process, a procedure, a protocol helps us not to be reactive, but to be proactive. This is going to happen, and if this happens, I'm going to have this step or this step. Can we always fit there with kids? No. They're going to do something you never thought of, especially if you keep having more of them. The first one, wow. Then the second one, then you're like, what in the world? Then the fourth one comes along, and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then you get to... Some of y'all have got a lot more than that. It's, it's difficult, right? But we need to have a process, and we do our best to stick to it and change it as needed, right? So we use processes all the time. Are we using them to raise our children? Are we using them in sanctification? Let's just stop for a second. Let's get, away from, let's get the kids away. Are we using them in our growth and discipleship as Christians? Do we have a process? What's some things we should do in a process if we want to be a disciple of Christ? Regular Bible study. Regular Bible study? That's Prayer. What else? Habit of repentance. Habit of repentance. I like it, Jerry. You're killing it. Keep going. 
Is that, is that it or is there more? I like you. I think a habit of repentance. This should be good. Because you're examining yourself daily and you're asking God to search your heart and point out any wicked way in you, right? What else? Is it important to have fellowship with other believers? It is. Iron sharpens iron. If you're by yourself, you know, what's the, I think it says that, a quarter of three strands. You've you got to have people, right? You need people. What other, what other good processes should we have in order to be a disciple? But, but yes, so we, there's processes all around us. Do we view parenting as a series of events or a lifelong process? You go home from the hospital. Remember, you're struggling to put that car seat in a car because you practiced it before, but you just don't remember how to do it, right? And all these people are sitting there looking at you, and you're back there. You're trying to get it fit the right way. And then you throw a kid in there, and you drive home, and you're like, okay, what am I going to do with this young? You need to have a process, right? Because even at that age, can we start it the right way? Absolutely, right? How is the power of sin broken in the life of a believer? I know that sounds like I've just shifted gears, and I have, but why is that important? How is the power of sin broken in the life of a believer? We have, we have to know him. We have to love him. We have to, what did Jerry say? We have to have a thing of repentance, right? Power of sin is broken through repenting, agreeing with God about who I am and agreeing on who he is, right? That's really the point of it. The presence of sin always remains... But we have to understand sanctification is a lifelong process. Are we looking for overnight change? Are we pursuing incremental awareness and progressive change? Are we looking for that magic pill that changes everything? Playing the lottery because we need that money, right? Are we looking for every day we're going to improve? That's what really a process is. Every day I'm going to keep doing, I'm going to be faithful in little every day. And over a period of time, guess what you become? Faithful. You didn't start out like that. You just said, I'm going I'm to make sure I try to read the Word today. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to make sure I look to Him. I'm going to try to be a witness to somebody else. And over time, guess what happens? You become a faithful person. It's a process. Small steps every day. If we're not careful, though, the problem we have is sin does what? It blinds us. How does sin blind us? It takes our focus off. It deceives us, right? It says, oh, you're, you're all right compared to that guy over yonder. I mean, that's one of the biggest things we do is we compare ourselves here instead of comparing ourselves here, right? We've got to be very careful. In uh, Matthew uh, 15, 14, and 2 Corinthians 4, 4, there's both those verses talk about the blind leading the blind, right? We've got to be very careful. Who are we following and what are we following? Our kids, our children, we don't see ourselves accurately. James tells us what? Those who look in the mirror and they say, woo, looking good, and they walk away, there's a problem, right? That mirror of the law, that mirror of the word is helping us to see our condition. Spiritually blind people are blind to their blindness. I thought that was, and I wrote that down. That was pretty interesting. Spiritually blind people are blind to their blindness. I think it's three in one sentence. That's amazing, right? Is that an issue? Yes, we need to ha understand that. Parenting, three steps here. I'm, I'm trying to sort of get through all this to get to the scripture on this because I want to make sure you all have time for small group. Three things we need to make sure. It's, not, it's a never-ending conversation should be our parenting. Something where we're always talking through who God is and what he's doing. We need to parent with a process mentality. We need to parent understanding it's an unending conversation. Even now that I've got a 25-year-old, guess what? It's a regular conversation with her. It doesn't stop. Now, my authority has stopped. But I'm still her father, and it never ends. I've, you know what my mama calls me? She calls me her little boy. 
man, I'm old, you know? I don't even say how old they are, you know? It's a never-ending thing. It's a, a never-ending conversation. We need to parent with a project mentality. Where are they at right now? Let's do our best to help them here, and guess what's going to happen in a week, a month, a year? It's going to change. It's not going to be the same the whole time. need to understand there's processes that go with this. So let's make sure we understand. One thing that always gets in the way of effective parenting is the character of the parent. If your character is bad, you're not going to be able to put that into your child. So we need to regularly be looking at that. And let's look at uh, Galatians 5. I've got a couple of verses I want to look at here that helps us understand that process and what the process should look like in our life. I think if everybody understands Galatians 5, that's the fruit of the Spirit, right? And I want us to look at a couple of verses here and then go through that. So Galatians 5, 22, I want to read through the end of the chapter here. And make sure we understand some of these are the character we should have as parents that we're looking to help our children walk in. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Right when you start this, you have to go back, really. You should go back to verse number uh, 19, and it talks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Why do you think it's called the works for one and the fruit for the other? You ever, you ever consider that? I thought that was interesting as I read through this this afternoon. The works of the flesh are something you have to do what? Work at, right? You have to work at. The fruit of the Spirit, though, is not like that. Fruit is different, right? Fruit isn't achieved by working. It's birthed by abiding. Fruit is fragile. You ever drop one off on the ground? Sometimes they'll go, right? Fruit's fragile. Fruit does what? It reproduces itself. Fruit is attractive. Fruit nourishes. In this, it's talking about spiritually how all that should look and us understanding that. And he says here, he uses the term plural, but he's actually using it in a singular fashion. In the big spirit, in the big picture, the Holy Spirit has one work to do in all of us. These aren't the gifts of the Spirit. This is something every Christian should possess, the fruit of the Spirit. It starts off talking about love. Why do you think love is first? God loves us. Can you do any of the rest of it without love? What's one of the biggest problems we face today? I think loving people. The people get on y'all's nerves. Why are you laughing like that? Okay, I'm going to take that as a no then. There you go, right? How hard is it to love other people? Is it difficult? Do y'all have issues with that? Or is it just me? Okay, I'm the only one. That's good. <laughs> love, again, y'all know if you look at the Greek word, there's different, there are several different words, but this is agape love. And this was agape really has to do with the mind. It's not simply an emotion which rises unbidden in our hearts. It's a principle by which we deliberately live. Do we deliberately love other people? That's, that's difficult. For the Christian, though, that should be our daily motive, our daily mantra. It should be something we're doing on a regular basis. Mm. Let's move down here a little bit more. Uh, and again, I wanted to go through a couple things. That, uh, the work of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, and lewdness are counterfeits of love among people. If you look at those works of the Spirit, it's Satan always tries to do what? He tries to look and act and sound like God, but he's not. He's a counterfeit. All of these uh, works of the flesh are actually counterfeits. Idolatry and sorcery are counterfeits of love to God. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, all those things listed there, 
They're the opposite of love. Drunkness and revelries are sad attempts to fill the void only love can fill. We have to start with love and then continue. The next one it talks about is joy. Do y'all have joy? I'm not talking about being happy because you got something. Do you have a joy that goes through whatever circumstance you're going on? Have you ever witnessed somebody that had a joy in whatever circumstance they were that just amazed you? I've had that several times where it's like, wow, how can you sit there and encourage me with what you have going on? I'm supposed to come, I was supposed to come and encourage you. That's not something they have on their own. That's something that's from the Holy Spirit. We need to have love, joy, and in that we have to have peace. Do you have peace? Not just a regular peace. I'm talking about you have a deep, abiding peace. Even with the midst of what's going on in the world today, does it bother you to the point where you can't sleep, or do you have peace? Is God sovereign? Is He in control? Is He really? Do you really trust Him? If you do, then guess what? We should have joy. We should have peace. What about long-suffering? If you sit in the drive-thru more than five minutes, do you have long-suffering? If you go to the Walmart store and you get that cart that's got that squeaky wheel and after about, I don't know, one pass through an hour, you got to go back and get another one, do you have long-suffering? Is that even suffering? I mean, that's the kind of problems we face, right? Long-suffering. Is that something that should be a hallmark of the Christian? What about kindness? When you see little children and puppies, are you kind or do you want to kick them? I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> there we go. See, thank you, Randy. I appreciate it. I knew somebody. I, I knew some people would be like, ah! but you know, some would, you know, yes. We have to, should we be kind? We should be kind to one another. What about those people who aren't nice to you? What about those people that it looks like that they're pained every time you come around? Should you be kind to them? It takes a minute, yes, but yes, we should be. Goodness. What do you think it means by goodness there? A goody two-shoes better than everybody else? When it says goodness, what does that mean? Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate any answer right now. I'm just grasping right now. Yes, goodness, right? This being good to them. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Wow, that's in there twice, right? Why is it in there? It's in the Bible a bunch of places. Why is self-control in there all the time? It should be what we have. It should be the mark of a Christian. It should be the fruit where we're able to control ourselves, our emotions, our physical needs, our everything. We should be able to control that. And when we can't control it, we should do what? We should repent. We should ask God for help because only he can help us in those areas. All right, I skipped through like three pages of notes there to get down to the end because it's time for small groups. Yes. Okay. So the, this whole chapter, if you read Galatians 5, it really lends itself to a searching examination of ourselves. We often think that our problems and difficulties are all outside of ourselves, but that's not actually right. A lot of it is internal. We need to understand the problems are in us and need to be dealt with by the Spirit of God. Augustine used to often pray, Lord, deliver me from that evil man, myself. I'll say that one more time. Lord, deliver me from that evil man, myself. Talking about process, and we talked about Identity, thank you. I, was, I want to miss some, make sure one person was sure of that. All right, so next week we're going to do something a little different. We're not going to have an actual lesson lesson. We're going to break into males and females. And yes, there's not any other that we're breaking into. There's males and there's females. And we're going to have a time to talk through parenting. Because uh, guess what? Is the roles different in a relationship from a mother and a father? <coughs> yes. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. So that's going to be next Wednesday.
Hopefully, uh, the people that's leading that are ready for that. If not, it's going to be really difficult. We'll see. Let's pray, and let's go to our small group. Father, I just want to thank you that your, our identity is in Christ. God, it's something that's firm. It's something that we can have knowledge of. God, it's something that we can rest in. God, it's something that we can walk in. God, help us to really check ourselves, God. As we just looked at that chapter, if we go back and examine that whole chapter in Galatians there, God, it really is a time for us to, to really examine our lives. And when we look at our kids and we look at our lives, God, are we living it based on uh, our identity and who you are? Do we have a process for things that are going on? Or do we just roll with everything that life comes at us? God, that is not the mark of the believer that we're just tossed about on the waves of life, God. That is, that's not how we're to be. God, help us, Lord, to examine our lives, to examine who we are, and then, Lord, as we parent, God, as we work, as we do all the other things, God, that we're involved in, God, help us to do it understanding that our identity is secure in Christ, and it's not what some other person might say or some other person might do that's going to knock us off that horse. No, God, our identity is firm and it's sure. And then, God, help us to have processes, God. Help us not to be reactive in nature to everything that comes our way, God. Help us to be uh, Lord, sure, again, that identity and these two go together very well. God, help us to have processes. If we don't and we need help, God, help us to ask other people. God, that's why we're here as a church. We're not left all alone. God, we're here with other people that can pour into our lives with the Scripture. God, we need to look, search the Scripture, talk to other people. God, help us, God, to really examine our lives. As we go into small group time, God, I pray, Lord, we would uh, be able to share. Lord, we would be able to talk about the things that we've learned. Talk about whatever's going on in our lives, God. Whatever it is, God, I pray that we'd be able to speak and we'd have truth spoken back to us through the power of your word. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.